It's a delight to look out over the audience this morning, see a number of visitors. We're glad to have you with us, and we always want you to feel welcome. We want you to feel like you're welcome to come and worship with us at any time that you have. For several weeks, we have been focusing on the gospel account of John. And John presented our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the way that various people received him. Just a moment, I'd like to remind you that in the two previous lessons that we have studied, Jesus came and Nicodemus came to him and received him. What was interesting, though, as Nicodemus received our Lord, he taught him to be born again and explained all that that involved. Then we got to chapter 4, and Jesus came to Samaria and met the woman at the well. She also received him, and he taught her what it means to worship God acceptably. Now we are coming to John chapter 4, beginning with verse 43. We're going to study about the curing of the nobleman's son. But I think it's important to understand that in each of these cases, we keep hearing the word received. What does it mean to receive Jesus? And what does that involve? And I'd like to point you back to John chapter 1 and verse 12 where it says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. I would suggest to you that if you read this carefully, that those who believed in him and those who received him were given the right to become. They had not yet become children of God. That the idea of receiving means someone accepts Jesus, but they have not fully made a commitment yet. And I believe as we study through the life of this nobleman, we're going to see a few things with regards to it. Here's what we want to talk about this morning in our lesson. We want to talk about the context in which this passage appears. We want to talk about the cure which the Lord provided to the nobleman's son. And then third of all, to make some observations with regards to that. First of all, let's look at the context. We just read together verses 43 through 45. And I want to direct your attention there again because I want to emphasize some words within this text. Now, after two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified, a prophet has no honor in his own country. So that when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him. Having seen the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, they had also gone to the feast. Now, to understand the background, Jesus had gone to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. It was necessary, as we studied last week, for him to stop in Samaria. The necessity was very likely created because he was in a hurry to be able to make it to Galilee, but not in such a hurry that he didn't need to stop and teach the Samaritans. The text tells us he spent two days there teaching those people. And from there he went to Galilee. That's his home area. That's where he'd grown up as a child. Galilee was that area in and around that great body of water known as the Sea of Galilee. 
it involved a number of areas there, and not just the, around the, uh, the shoreline itself. But the whole area was known as Galilee of the Gentiles. In fact, in Matthew 4, verse 15, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, by way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. You see, what we learn is, is that God had settled this area with the Jewish people, the descendants of Naphtali and Zebulun. But somewhere along the line, it had been populated by Gentiles. And yet, by the time we're reading now in John chapter 4, there are a number of Jews who are there again. In fact, this was the home of many of the apostles. Because when we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 7, as these apostles stood up to speak, he said, Are these not all these who speak Galileans? Their dialect, their, um, I'm trying to look for the word, the way they talked, betrayed them as being Galileans. You go to John chapter 1, verse 44. It says, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And given the fact that James and John were also partners with Philip, or Andrew and Peter, there on the Sea of Galilee, very likely all of them were from this various area in and around the Sea of Galilee. If you begin to try to name some of the cities, some of them are very familiar to you. Cana, uh, where the Lord had turned the water to wine. Nazareth, the city where the Lord grew up. That's where uh, Joseph and Mary had settled after they returned to the promised land. You think of Bethsaida, where Philip and Andrew and Peter were from. And then Capernaum, the city where our Lord settled. That was also one of the uh, coastal cities along the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. But I want you to notice the statement of our Lord in verse 44 that a prophet has no honor in his home country. That's not a phrase just one time appearing. It appears in Matthew's account and Mark's account and Luke's account. I want to draw attention to it in Luke and Mark's account because Luke says, they will surely use this proverb to me saying, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever you have done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. That is in and around Nazareth. Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you that no prophet is accepted in his own country. They didn't accept Jesus there in Nazareth. In fact, they tried to throw him off of the hillside there and kill him because he claimed to be the Son of God. But Mark's account to me is extremely interesting because he says, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. As we will continue to study when we get to John chapter 7, even Jesus' brothers did not believe in him. They looked at Jesus and they said, who is he? He can't be anything beyond our brother. And yet he was the son of God. Thankfully, they became believers. But you see, a prophet, Jesus says, has no honor in his own country, which leads us to this idea is, is there a contradiction here? It says to us in verse 45, but the Galileans received him. 
you go back to John chapter 1, verse 11, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. Is this text saying, yes, they did receive Jesus and no, they didn't receive him? Well, I think therein lies an important part of our study today. What does it mean to receive Jesus? What is involved in all of that? Well, you see, the text goes on to explain that they had seen all the things that he had done at Jerusalem in the feast. They'd seen the miracles that he had performed when he went to Jerusalem. Now they have arrived back in Galilee and they're ready to receive him. You see, these are the same kind of sign seekers that Jesus described in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 4. He said, a wicked and an adulterous generation seeks after a sign. You see, these are people here who are not really interested in Jesus as the Son of God, but as in the miracle worker. Do you remember when Jesus was arrested and he was sent to Herod and Herod looked at him and he wanted to see Jesus because he wanted to see him work some kind of great miracle? Well, I want you to refer back with me to John chapter 2 for just a moment. You remember right after Jesus had performed the miracle of the turning the water to wine at Cana? There's a very interesting follow-up to that in verses 23 through 25. Now, when he was at Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. Verse 24 is interesting. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. What did Jesus know about man? Why didn't he commit himself to these people when he worked these signs? Is because he knew how fickle they were. He knew that they were only interested in the signs which he would perform. In chapter 12, verse 37, But although he had done many signs before them, they did not believe in him. These are people who had the signs, but the signs were not that important. Which leads me to the next part of our lesson, and that is the cure. You see, the context was set for us in verses 43 through 45. But when you get to chapter 4, verse 46, then you start focusing on this nobleman and his son. So let's look at that context together. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he had heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son. For he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said unto him, or unto him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The noble said unto him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. 
So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour which he got better. And when they said to him that yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him, so the father knew that it was the same hour that Jesus had said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed, and his whole household. This again is the second sign that Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. The nobleman. Who is he? What is he? The word means someone who's attached to the king. That means he may be attached to him as a relative. He may be a brother, maybe a son, maybe a cousin. Maybe a servant of his. He is a nobleman. He's he's attained a high honor. Very possibly the uh, Herod the Tetrarch, the son of Herod the Great. You remember Luke chapter 3 verse 1 says, Herod being the Tetrarch of Galilee. But as you continue to think further about this, one of the things that just immediately should come to your mind is, Jesus is at Cana. The nobleman's at Cana. But his son is at Capernaum and he's sick. He walked 20 miles uphill. You see, the words come down, come down, come down. All refers to that elevation that's going down to that area, actually below the Sea of Galilee from Cana of Galilee all the way down to Capernaum. But that nobleman had walked all that way to find Jesus. He was desperate. His son was sick. In fact, which one of there is of you, if your son or your daughter was sick, would not go anywhere necessary and spend any amount needed to be able to save their life? This nobleman loved his son. He wanted his son to live. And he knew Jesus had the ability to to heal him, to make him whole. But notice again this phrase, unless you people see the signs, you will not believe. Here's a problem that they had, and it is also common today. And that is, is that people want the blessings, but they don't want the commitment. You see, when we get to John chapter 6, and you get to verse 26, Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Here is the issue. So many people are seeking the Lord and, I'm going to put this in quotation marks, receiving the Lord, not because they're interested in Him being the Son of God and the salvation that He provides, not because even the fact that there are signs that are being worked, that's only secondary. They are interested in the benefit that they are deriving from it. For those in John 6... What was it? The loaves and the fishes. For those now in John chapter 4, Jesus is the healer. 
What is it today in 2016, soon to be 2017? I can't tell you how many times I've answered the phone over the last few weeks. Hello? Will you buy my family and I gifts for this season? Will you pay our rent? Will you pay our utilities? We'd love to have you come to services. Oh, no, I'm not interested in coming to hear your message. I just want the blessings that you're going to provide. Oh, you see the, where you come to in this is, is that people are not interested in the Lord. They're not interested even in the, the miracles. They're only interested in what they're going to derive from it. But I want you to focus on verse 48 with me for just a moment. I want you to notice the contrast. Jesus speaks to him, but then he uses the plural by saying, you people, look at verse 48, and he says, unless to you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. That's what it's going to take to convince some of you. But I'd suggest to you the nobleman is a little above that. He is a man who believes Jesus. He asked Jesus to come down knowing that Jesus has the power. But notice with me verse 50. Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. And he went his way. He didn't keep saying, well, Jesus, come on with me. I'm not sure whether or not my son has been made well. I need you to come with me to Capernaum. When Jesus said that, he left and went his way. He believed what Jesus said. Now that's faith. If you go to John chapter 5, or excuse me, Luke chapter 5, the apostles have been fishing all night. They didn't catch anything. And then the Lord tells them to cast out into the deep, to drop their nets, and Peter's going to tell the Lord, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. You see, experience had taught Peter, there's no fish out here tonight. And yet, when the Lord says, drop your nets, Peter says, okay, Lord, I'll do that. Romans 4, verses 20 and 21 the Lord had told Abraham that you will have a son. Sarah, your wife, shall give you that child. You've got to remember, these are not young people. These are people about to turn 100 years old. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded or fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. He believed that whatever God told him would take place. The Hebrew writer puts it like this in Hebrews 11 verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he would afterward receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing whether he was going. You see, real faith is when you take what Jesus says and you believe it and you follow it and you're convinced by it. But according to verse 54, 
It wasn't just him, but it was also his whole household that were converted. Now, as you read through a passage such as this, you have to come back and say, what kind of lessons should I walk away with from this? What should I learn? Well, one of the first things that just stands out to me is that phrase of Jesus, a prophet is not honored in his home country. And as you start looking at the prophets, most of them were disrespected because of the message that they delivered. Same thing's true of Jesus. In Acts chapter 7 and verse 52, as Stephen is being martyred, and he's looking round about them, he said, Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute and killed those who were foretold the coming of the just one? of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers. Jesus himself in Luke 13, verses 33 and 34, explains by saying, Nevertheless, I must journey today and tomorrow and the following day, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. This is the place that kills all of those who come to Why did they kill the prophets? They did not like their message. The second thing that I observe from this, and I think most people would, is how fickle people can be. When you see that word that they received him, these Galileans received him, how well did they receive him? And then for Jesus to turn around and say to them, unless you see signs you won't believe, I think about how people could lay palm branches before Jesus as he entered into Jerusalem on that Sunday morning prior to his being crucified. And then some to cry out, crucify him, crucify him that Friday. Perhaps one of the best illustrations I can think of, though, is found in Acts 14. You remember Paul had gone to the area of what's called central Turkey today. He preached the gospel to Antioch. He preached at Iconium. The Jews there ran him out of town because they didn't like what he was having to say. Then Paul and Barnabas came to a town called Lystra. And when they arrived, the people there received them extremely well. In verse 11, now when the people saw Paul, what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. You drop down to verse 18. And with these sayings, they could scarcely refrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. They treated them like gods. Then you read verse 19. Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Here are people that at one point just are ready to put sacrifices before their feet and now they're ready to kill them. Oh, that's the way people act sometimes. Let me tell you what I have observed many times. People are in situations of desperation like the nobleman. Someone in their family is gravely ill. 
or maybe they've received some disturbing news that they have a disease that the doctors perceive to be terminal. They have maybe six months to live. Oh, you remember King Hezekiah? He was told he was sick and was going to die, told to set his house in order, how he turned and he prayed to the Lord. So many times people find themselves in situations of desperation and then the difficulty is resolved. How many times have you talked with someone that says, oh, I'll be at church every Sunday when the doors are open. I visited a young man in the jail. He said, I'm going to be let out of jail on Friday. He said, preacher, I'll be at the church sitting on the front row Sunday morning. You know where he was Sunday morning? He may have been sitting on the front row somewhere, but he wasn't here. You see, people sometimes are fickle. When you receive the Lord and truly receive Him, you have the right to become a child of God. In becoming a child of God, that's when you make a commitment to serve Him. Many people wanted the blessings and the benefits, but rarely the rules and the restrictions. In Matthew 19, verses 21 and 22, Jesus met this rich young ruler who wanted to know what he needed to do to inherit eternal life. The Lord rehearsed with him the commandments. He made it clear, I've kept these things since I was a young man. The Lord said, if you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. The young man heard that saying. He went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Oh, I'm willing to be committed as long as you don't ask me to do something that I don't want to do. And of course, John chapter 6, that great lesson on Jesus being the bread of heaven. And when Jesus preached that lesson to him, in the latter part of verse 61, he says, Does that offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe, or Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. For he said, Therefore I said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Interestingly, verse 67, he turned to the twelve and he asked them, Do you also want to go away? The Lord never makes anyone serve him. He gives people the privilege. He gives people the opportunity to do so. Fourth observation from this is situations of difficulty often bring out the best or the worst in folks. For the nobleman, it brought out the best in him because he was able to, when the Lord said, your son lives, to say, okay, I'm going home with the expectation that his son was healed. Other times people are not. Let me bring all this together. I'm sure some of you who are probably sitting here have thought about 
Well, you know, if, if I could just only see a sign myself, if I could only have someone come and tell me this is really the way it is, you know, if somebody would come back from the dead and tell me, Tony, that's the way it is there, I would believe then. You know, in the account of the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man wanted to send Lazarus back to his brethren. And Abraham's response was very plain. He said, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. You see, the truth is, either you believe the Lord right now and you are convinced and you're willing to do what he says, or you are not. This man believed at the word of Jesus. Very simply, as 2 Corinthians 5 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. If you'll take your songbook out now, we're going to sing this song of encouragement. If you need to become a New Testament Christian, you are a believer. You have the right to become a child of God. I'd like to encourage you not to just partially surrender to the Lord, but surrender all to say that I am willing to be a servant of our Lord Jesus Christ to follow him where he leads and to be what he calls upon me to be if you're willing to do that confess your faith and be baptized for the remission of your sins if you are a Christian and you need to be restored you need the prayers of this congregation then we will pray with you would you come as together we stand and sing